Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. It's Ash's first blood to Australia. Is the buzz still about Basball? We've got Captain Cummins, dodgy declarations and dropped dollies all coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Ash's first test review. Stay tuned. Well, boys, it was all I could do to get a little bit of alliteration and upbeatness into an introduction on a day where it feels like cricket has died, uh, to be perfectly honest, as an Englishman. <laughs> oh, um, so look, um, wow. if, you know, if you're of a nervous disposition, certainly skip my parts of the podcast um, today. I'm the only Englishman that feels that way, but we might get to that in a, look, bit, a we'll, bit later on. We'll, we'll get on to it. But look, I guess first things first, um, Baldy, that, you know, the, the, the opening gambit for me is, uh, look, I just want to kind of really give a little bit of a caveat that, I don't want to take anything away from Australia over the course of this test match review. Um, you know, we'll talk about probably, you know, England's tactics and whatnot, but anything I say, um, you know, cannot be held in evidence. Yeah. Um, fair enough. Uh, so there's no, there's no Miranda here. I, I honestly do think, um, obviously you've deserved the victory and it, it must be a really, really good feeling as an Australian sitting here today, all the hype leading into this series, all of the chat around what, you know, what this sort of basball revolution was going to bring to this Ashes test match. And do you know what? It feels a little bit like 2005 Australia um, on a wave of expectation from an English public, you know, what was it, 18 years ago, mm. um, blew England away in that first test match at Lords, I think, um, in that um, edition of the Ashes. It's the same uh, 18 years later, but at Edgebaston, which... Uh, um, has been called a fortress for England. Um, it's yeah, a little bit less of a fortress and more of a, I don't know what the opposite of a fortress is. <laughs> yeah, I think first points to Australia, and it, it was, you know, it's not a TKO or a KO victory. It's first points to Australia in, look, a, a test match series that we now know is going to be very, very hotly contested and incredibly entertaining. Um, huge for Australia to get a win first I think if England won that test match they would carry a whole bunch of momentum through the rest of the series so look it means that there's lots of questions to be asked and lots of things to talk about in this podcast but look it's a five match series it's over the next five or six weeks there's lots of cricket to be played yet there's 20 more days of of cricket to enjoy so I'm not getting too carried away but it was nice for Australia to to pull one out having not been dominated for four and a half days, but England were on top for four and a half days in that test match, I think. And Australia were, were good enough to hang on and hang in. <laughs> what is going we on here? Can we, can we have some excitement on the podcast? Like, my, the first thing on my notes is, can we have four more of those, please? Like, that was a fantastic was test brilliant. match. I'm not underplaying it. England didn't weren't on top there for four no and a half domination. days. It was a seesawing test that went back and forth in so many different ways. That, that was brilliant and the two of you even the victor is, is calm Raj can, well, bring some excitement no well, let me just say I had to turn my, my slack into dark mode from all the text <laughs> messages I was getting this morning but I thought it was an incredible test it seesawed every way through that after the first day I told you 400 days on the first day of an Ashes test 400 runs sorry on the first day of an Ashes test yes mm. please if Australia were to get their nose in front they would have played well to do it and they did that and it just seesawed all the way mm. through even into that last part of day five yeah. where you know t the, if you look at the sports books odds they would have been going up and down up and down all day especially when they were what eight for needing 70 odd to win i think winvers even had england ahead with about 12 runs to get or something it was very like england yeah two wickets in hand and 12 runs or 16 runs i think and still winvers was 59 percent england or 56 percent england yeah to, to be honest the only worse algorithm than winvers is baldy's on the <laughs> hall of fame and uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, getting the shots in early well if that's the only that's the only dig i'm going to have is around his, his algorithm 
them. Um, look, if we talk about Winvis, I think um, what was most telling for me was leading into when England declared, their Winvis actually went down by six percent mm. um, on the yeah on on the eve of that. Uh, that first day, look, I, I, I said in the you know the intro, I think taking nothing away from Australia, the elephant of the room for me is the declaration, and there's a lot been said. Um, and, and look, this is not a dig at Ben Stokes. What he's done, I think, in terms of evolving the captaincy of the England team, look, it, it, I, I'm going to say this quietly: he's a be, he's a better leader than Cook. He's a better leader than Root. He's probably the best leader that, that we've had since Michael Vaughan, to be perfectly honest, in terms of uh, what he's bringing, in terms of the ethos and the, the mindset around that team. But England should be going into day five with an almost unassailable lead. This is not hindsight. I said it on the Slack channel. There's a lot of people have been saying it throughout the course. The declaration was a dumb idea at 5.30 on day one. It was a dumb idea at 11 o'clock on day two. It was a dumb idea leading into day five. And it's going to be a dumb idea when Wisdom gets published at the end of the year and in 50 years time when you're reading it in the British Library. And to, to essentially look at a, a, a pitch that looked like a three-day pitch on day one. It was dry. It was going to turn. Australia had the best spinner in the match without a shadow of a doubt. Leading in, forget the performances and forget what happened after the, the you know the toss went up. They had a guy with 400 plus, nearly 500 Almost test wickets um, on a pitch that was going to wear. And that, they decided that it was a great idea to declare with a guy on 120. If we just take some really, really simple mathematics... Australia didn't declare one. Usman Khawaja was on 120. That you know they went on and they put a score that was pretty close to parity. Um, so I, I don't think we can kind of say this, this is a decision uh, with hindsight um, that, that was wrong. It wasn't with hindsight all the way through the Test match. I, I struggle to to see anyone in that um, England media that doesn't think that that's a bad idea. It's just within the walls of the 14 that they think it was a good idea. The thing is, I, I want to push back on this, and, and Raj, you might pick up on a point you made in the Slack channel about like putting people under pressure and things, but England have played on instinct for the last 12 months. Since Stokes came in, It's it's been all about playing on your instincts, trusting your instincts, backing your ability to put the opposition under pressure at all times, and it has paid off handsomely. I don't think England, if they didn't play that way, the declaration sort of comes as part of that, if you ask me. And if they're not playing this way, I don't see how their test side is in this position to even be challenging Australia it, you know, from where they were 12 months ago. And that's that's honestly how I feel. And I don't like, yes, you can debate all the little parts of baseball and the, the style that they're playing and some of the decisions they're making aren't going to pay off. But you make that decision and they are 20 for two. And it's a completely different scenario. But that's a, that's a different what if for me. So that's what if we'd have taken two wickets. I, I'll ask, you know, I, you know, I'll ask Baldy the question, I think, as, as the, the only Australian in the room. Are you, are you more comfortable with 393 for eight? Um, or are you are you more uncomfortable when there's 430 on the board the next morning and there's still a new ball? I, I just don't think that in terms of the intent that England needed to show and wanted to show, Crawley started it with the first ball of the game and, yeah, they, and, and they did it throughout the course of that first day. I think that they've handed an advantage. We've, we saw what Root did on the morning of day three, yeah. going to reverse scoop the four, first ball. Let him come back and do that on the morning of day two. That would have still given momentum. It would have still given intent. It would have still given positivity. It wouldn't have detracted one bit. And I don't think there's anybody in the cricketing world that would have gone, do you know what? They should have probably declared at 390-odd for eight. There's nobody that I think is going to look back on that 
Um, apart from, to be honest, the neutral who thinks, fuck me, this was a really, really fantastic <laughs> yeah. game of cricket. Um, I, yeah, and I think it could have easily gone to a boring draw. Yeah. I, we, we talked about this earlier. Traditionally, you're right. They probably should have batted with, with Joe Root on 120, let him bat another 30, 40 overs and let them score 550 in the first dig, right? That's great. That's not how England, this England team play the game. Let me ask you, Baldy, you're talking about the declaration. Mm. How did you feel when Australia were three, four, whatever they were, 300 plus behind with Warner, Labuschagne and Steve Smith out? It, it was a real it was a real tough one because you know tradition they are the one two three in the world and having dismissed them at what three for a hundred chasing yes. four hundred mm. Australia are in a bit of a hole there as it turns out Kawaja played the innings not of a lifetime because it's his fifteenth Test hundred now I think but Jeez. he played really really well to drag Australia out of the hole and he got enough support from Head from Carey from Green to drag Australia towards parity um, I was. I was nervous knowing that they were 393 for eight and there's 20 minutes to go, thinking about, well, it does Warner survive till Stumps here? Mm. And, you know, as it turned out, it probably didn't really matter when, what time Stuart Broad, Broad bowled to David Warner in that, <laughs> in, in that first innings. He was going to get him bowling around the wicket and, and crash the ball into his off stump. But it was a nervous moment for me. I reflected on it the following morning, thinking to myself, well, this is a long series. And the the biggest bit of damage England could done have done to Australia on the morning of day two was keep their bowlers in the field for a little bit longer and and make them work a little bit harder and and really show that the Australian attack has no demons for England particularly their lower order and we'll come on to the the performances of the lower order I think as we get to the kind of chronological evolution of day four and day five but I just thought that there was an opportunity there to grind Australia down a little bit and really sort of, you know, stick the boot in a little bit to Australia. And England didn't take advantage of that to try and further their cause of taking a couple of wickets, you know, Kawaja, Warner, maybe you maybe Labuschagne on that first evening. It didn't transpire and Australia were able to wrestle their way back into the game. And Pinksy, I I know you, like, it's weird because I I feel like a couple of weeks ago you told us you were fully on board with Basball. You're you're loving, embracing this this style that they're playing. And I I, I guess I just feel like the way that they played this game and, and that declaration and things, that built, I mean... Obviously, Zach Crawley hitting the first ball for four and, and the way that they've played this last times, the atmosphere around that ground was so fantastic. And the way that, like, you know, Stuart Broad gets Warner, the next ball, he's at the top of his mark going like this, Nick's Manus up, Labuschagne off. Like, I don't think any of that comes if they're not playing that way. I know, I know some of it's ridiculous, like Harry Brook coming on first change. Sometimes it feels like they're just taking the piss. But, like, I feel like it's revitalising all the players in that dressing room, you were sort of saying how you know Anderson and Broad must be frustrated with this kind of stuff. Well, but I, no, I didn't say that they would be frustrated. I, I said I'd really like to know how they feel mm. when you rock up on. We you know we talked a little bit about the pitch. You rock up. You know that it's going to be an absolute feather bed. You prove that it's a feather bed by doing what you do through the first 75 overs of day one. Mm. And then you go, do you know what? I'm going to give away 10% of my available batting resources to have a little bit of a gamble. When, again, I just come back to it. I don't think it shifts the momentum of the game in a massively different fashion. It might, if, if we'd have taken two wickets, it might have given us, you know, a slight you know, a slight edge. But I still think that if if I think around 
um, wanting to entertain the, the crowd, which is the, the, the buzzword that they keep coming out with, wanting to move the game forward, even if it actually moves the game forward further to the opposition's advantage. If they want to do that, that's cool. But I, I think from the way that that transpired, it, in my view, they've not learned from the mistakes of Wellington. Let's put this into, into perspective. I like the fact they're probably not looking too much at the analytics. Ben Stokes is captain and a little bit on gut instinct. They're giving players that that freedom. But I still think in professional sport, there's a, it, it, it's like they're goldfish. You know, forget the last <laughs> test match, forget everything else, forget everything that the game has taught us over 2,100 test matches. Um, and they've not learned that, you know, they've not learned that lesson that they are putting so much time back into the game that yes, it rained and all that kind of jazz, but that, that can happen. Yeah, yeah. I just personally think they have literally made a decision that when you look at it in terms of one single decision doesn't impact the result of a game, you can't always look at those what ifs, but this is just such a big one that they're not learning from the mistake in Wellington and they're not actually looking at the conditions and, and what, uh, what that counter argument to, to that action has taken throughout the course of the game. And that's the not even coming on to you know all the other what ifs and those other what ifs are the ones that i can live with i can live with the fact that bearstow has shelled five sitters and i can live with the fact that if we'd have executed our skills we, we've won the game yeah yeah but yeah, we've, takes that catch. we've done two or three things um through the course of the test match that with just a modicum of common sense that would be imperceptible to anybody in terms of the intent that that side wants to create um, would have would have had a different outcome. That's that's my two cents worth, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fair fair enough. And look, I, I guess my yeah, I, I still feel like following that path, they're never going to get it right. And I think we've talked about the whole way talk about baseball. We've talked about how the things that they've done have not been perfect. You know that that's sort of the the positive. I think a massive positive for England that the style they're playing. Like let, let's sort of talk about ta- you know turning it into tactics. The role reversal in this test match from a neutral point of view was absolutely stunning. The fact that like from ball one, we just said Crawley smashes it through the covers. Australia's got people on the boundary. Australia is the uh, well, England is the side that's putting the pressure on. Well, you know, the Hollies are singing We Saw You Crying on Tally on the Tally and, and all this stuff. Like suddenly <laughs> England are the big bullies and Australia are the underdogs. I'll, look, I'll show you a picture off there of one of my mates in the Hollies and it is a disgrace <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Partly on that question, I just want to ask you know, you guys a question. In terms of the battle of the captains, there was obviously a really, you know, obviously not opposite tactics. Mm-hmm. But Cummins came in for massive um, criticism on on day one, in and will again of, shortly. In terms of the okay and the fields, he said, "Who's won the battle of the captains in terms of that tactical piece?" Well, and um, take Cummins's match winning innings out of it, by the way. Yeah, because um, so, you know that that's that, that's different. But from a captaincy perspective, who who's won that battle? I I was reflecting on this at the time, and and I watched Australia set the field for the first ball, and I thought to myself, "Well, we have just handed England the mental advantage in this Test series. Forget about." containing England in the first four or five overs of the game. We have we have given England the mental advantage in the series by blinking first. Now, baseball and and the approach to English cricket has done a lot of things, but it has not changed the fundamental fact that the a batter is the most vulnerable in their first 10 or 15 balls, and the biggest way to get through your 10 or first 10 or 15 balls is to rotate the strike and take pressure off yourself by by hitting singles. Australia allowed England, without asking them too many questions, 
to get themselves into the game. Now, England gave Australia back the advantage a little bit when Ben Duckett, you know, nicked one that he probably could have left and and gave the the advantage back to Josh Hazelwood. But for the first part of that match, Australia conceded five runs and over to England without England having to take any risks whatsoever. Mm. So we didn't ask the batters to to take, you know, five runs and over by, by taking a risk and trying to hit a boundary to a ball they maybe shouldn't. We didn't ask them to do anything other than take risk-free shots to rotate the strike around because we gave them options to just hit one whenever they wanted to. So I thought Australia gave England a massive, massive advantage on day one. Do you think that's a bit harsh, just cutting over you from the perspective that I think that pitch was the best to bat on half an hour before the first ball on day one? Uh, it, it was It was great to bat on all of that first day and it just got worse because it got slower Quite, lower, quite, quite possibly, quite possibly, it was the best to bat on on the morning of day one. I, I give you that, and the ball didn't do a lot on the first sort of five or ten overs in day one. So I kind of get why the Cummins and yeah. the Australians it did. It wasn't what they a new ball wicket, was no, it? No, it wasn't. However, if there's anything wicket, if there's anything in that wicket, Australia had to have fielders in a position to take catches early on. They had to have something there that says, "I am trying to get you out." rather than saying, I'm prepared to concede to you. Because this is a long series. As we said, it's five tests over six weeks, and these sides are going to be punching back and forth at each other for five or six weeks as we will be on this podcast. And we don't concede any mental edge to each other, and nor should Australia (laughs) concede any mental edge to England in that. Like, honestly... Duckett can't help but play the ball. He like he's left seven balls in the last year and a half. Yeah, yeah. We know that Crawley nicks off early doors in his innings. Okay, maybe he'll hit 267 and maybe he'll smash the first one before for four. But he will nick off at some point. If you're not there to take advantage of that, then there's no hope for you. You are not trying to take wickets. So look, I just I just wrote down look, ask ask England to play shots in the next Test match at Lords, right? Ask them to do something to you rather than concede five and over because England would have been looking at that and going, you fucking beauty. It, it's <laughs> funny though because I mean, did you guys watch the aftermatch? I sort of found myself quite captivated by the aftermatch afterwards, listening to um, and actually the best part of that aftermath match was uh, Ponting. If you see any interactions between Ponting and Kevin Peterson. Mm-hmm. He just turns his back on Ponting just turns his back on him and completely blanks Kevin Peterson. I don't know if that's an English-Australia thing or just that I don't no, respect I th- what you're I saying. I think it's a Kevin Peterson thing, yeah. to be perfectly honest. Yeah, well, whatever it is, it's absolutely fantastic theatre. But Pat Cummins, actually, they asked Pat Cummins the same question, you know. Is it very un-Australian like to put all that kind of stuff? And he, he talked about playing that long game. Mm. He said that way, you know, he was very open about it, basically saying that the way we feel like you know, England comes out, puts all this pressure on. We want to absorb that pressure, pl- be there at the end to win the big moments. But, but in and order in order to rope-a-dope England, you have to be ready to take 20 wickets. And Australia didn't look like, other than the gift that Ben Duckett gave them, the that we England were ready. gifts you 20 wickets. But you've got, to have, you've got to have players there ready to take the catch when they're there. If they're all on the boundary, then, you know, there's, there's less opportunity to do so. L- less so when we just give you two wickets. But yeah. anyway, they give you 20. Like, honestly, if you play the long game against this England side, they might get a lot of runs, but they'll give you 20 chances to take wickets. Mm. Can, can well, they I, don't even need to give you 20 because they're going to give you t- at the, least two wickets a declara- game. <laughs> declaration. With the declaration. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, was, that was very funny. Um, the... <laughs> The I biggest, don't think you believe that. <laughs> the biggest elephant for me, I know you've talked about the declaration, but I actually think there is a lot to be said about some execution of skills. So the Johnny Bairstow misses that, that actually that catch he took uh, of Ma- Manus. Of he first, nearly dropped it. I know he nearly did, but it was a great catch. Um, there was a miss stumping, the missed catches, and I think that Broad's 
uh, when he bowled Kawadra off that no yeah, ball, yeah. Yeah. was massively um, influential in the actual first inning score of Australia. I think that's a big thing that has to be considered here. I feel I'm not going to take anything away from Australia and go they didn't win the game, but I think they they did win the game and they went a long way towards winning it. England gave them a lot of ground. I felt through some of their execution, they absolutely did. And and as I said, I can I can live with that because that is sports. There are going to be days where you know there isn't one of us sitting around this table that hasn't had an absolute shocker with bat, ball or gloves at some point. Uh, some of us more than... Uh, more than <laughs> or more, all more, of those things. Or all of those things. Yeah, yeah. Last <laughs> week, actually. Um, but you can you can kind of forgive that. It, it's the pieces that I, I just still... Th- yeah, I, I'm not going to go on about mm. it, but yes, those are really important. And yes, I think England have got to look at some of those things. Um, they've named a squad that is for the first two test matches. So I, again... Wouldn't the basball thing to do to be make a change if you see that one's necessary because, you know, you're playing with your feet on the ground and all of these lovely cliches about <laughs> being in the moment. And the moment might not be for a guy that's had a horrific leg injury um, to be keeping wicket for um, a couple of hundred overs um, and then, you know, expected to score, you know, explosive runs with the bat as well. Um, I don't think they will. I, I think they'll obviously say, you know, go again, lads. And, and that's probably the right call. Um, but it has to be a, a question at some point that if you are going to order really, really flat wickets, you can't afford to be missing simple stumpings and dropping simple catches um, throughout the course of a, of a test match. That's a really good point. So I don't know if I'm, I'm hogging the questions here. No, no. The pitch, I think that pitch was not something that England would have wanted. No, it it cool. accentuated that part of the game where they don't have competitive advantage which is spin it was poor um, and yeah I, I was I was really surprised to see that pitch almost any other pitch anything you could think of aside from picking one out of the subcontinent you know from specifically Indian uh, <laughs> well, one that was Turner would be worse it, it reminded me a little bit of the pitches that we've seen in Pakistan in over Pakistan, the course yeah. of the last yep. uh, couple of years both you know New Zealand and, and England touring there and Australia, and Australia too, relatively yep. relatively recently and yeah. and Usman Khawaja just scored a ton of runs on those wickets in, in Pakistan do so. you think they would have dialed that up or that's just happened like that Look, I, I honestly look. I'm, I, you know, uh, my curating days are, are long over. I rolled a few wickets 25 years ago, and um, I, I, I honestly think they've probably asked for flat pitches with a little bit of pacing. I think um, the, you know, the weather's not been, you know, super consistent anywhere in the world, really, um, and, and certainly not in Birmingham, my hometown. So I just, you know, I just think they've tried to produce something that's flat. They haven't managed to keep the moisture in it. Interesting that even I think on um, day three they were watering the square which they're allowed to do mm. to try and get a bit of residual moisture into the mm. you know into the wicket they obviously can't uh, water the actual pitch during the course of the game because i think it you know it just started far too far it too was dry, really dry here it was um, really and, not, dry. and not hard enough yep should we should we talk about some of the individual performances in this game? Because can there, we please? Like, there was some fantastic performances. I mean, you guys have mentioned Kawaja, Bully. Oh, I should give you the floor. Can I know you he's, a, yes. he's a, a Queensland as a Queenslander. You're you're very keen to talk about him. Oh, but before we just can I just point out one thing? We always do this thing where we play down our you know country's chances. Usman Kawaja in the lead up to this said he's got really low expectations mm-hmm. of opening the batting in England. He has <laughs> played the Michael Baldwin game um, perfectly in the lead into this Test match. A Queenslander is nothing if not an underdog. Look. It was a special, special performance from Usman Khawaja because for, I mean, he's been dropped seven times over the course of his career for Australia. This is his eighth time around. 
playing in that side. I mean, he did things that not that players haven't done for 40, 50 years. I mean, no Australian has batted in all five days of a test match since 1980. Tick that box. 13 people in, what did they say? 13 people in history have, have done that. Have batted all five days. Um, batted uh, 518 balls. That's the most by an Australian away in England since 1964. Um, he now averages, clo- close enough as makes no difference, to 67 in test match cricket, opening the batting with 1500s. That's the highest ever all time. I mean, he was he was incredible in this test match. A a big hundred in the first innings. He he got himself in and made the most of that situation and got Australia, you know, close enough to, to par that that kept them in the game um, and then kept them in the game in the second innings as well when, you know, players were getting starts yeah. all over the place and then getting themselves out. So, look, it was a special, special performance for him to maintain his discipline for as long as he did. And, look, he stuck to his shots. He, he waited for England to bowl to him. You know, he waited for them to be short and he hit them square and he just he didn't go after anything which he did in the World Test Championship final, which was kind of fallen across his body, you know, nicking off to, yeah. to, to some specialists, some really special bowlers in Anderson and Brooks. So, look, it was a really, really special performance from from Usman Khawaja. And, I, again, I just can't be happier for him um, to have that special moment in England, his first test uh, test match 100 in England. He he's he gives you those vibes. As, as a neutral, he gives you those vibes. I think we talked about it with Rahani, or at least I talked about it with you guys off air and then I think never mentioned it on the World Test Championship review. But he gives you those vibes that, like, he's just a guy you want to support. Mm. He's just someone that, yeah, he, he seems to have just positivity around him, I guess. And... Um, yeah, someone that we want to do well, no matter you know which side you're kind of supporting. What did you guys think of the bat throw celebration? Yeah, <laughs> nothing more to say. Nothing. Oh, I'd rather see that than David Warner's leap. Uh, did he? I don't think he meant to do it. I mean, Pat Cummins dropped his bat in his helmet when nah, he hit I the think he meant to do that. Yeah, that was I like know. a that was like a Barack Obama, Kobe Bryant mic drop, wasn't it? It was like brilliant. Fair enough. I loved it. Loved it. But you guys don't share the same kind of vibe for celebrations as I do. We, we don't. Um, if you're watching <laughs> on YouTube, though, go, go and look at Usman Khawaja. He's got his own YouTube channel. He tells yeah. you how to customise your own batting gloves. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. There you go. <laughs> who else? Who else do we want to talk about? I thought Joe Root's knock in the first innings was absolutely magnificent. Cut short by 30 runs or so. Um, <laughs> But look, I, I just think he's he's now found the the you know the the tempo that he needs to, and I think really telling with you know we talk about that reverse whatever it is that he plays. He just says the only way that I'll get out playing this shot is if I don't get enough on it and get caught behind. Mm-hmm. He reckons he's not going to get bowled, um, and he's not going to miss it and get get LB. He reckons the only you know that he's saying that it's almost as low risk as, as guiding yeah. the ball it's to brilliant. third man, which is ludicrous. Yeah. It's brilliant. I mean, other than him getting caught by Daryl, I think Daryl Mitchell caught him at slip yeah, in, the, in, in, yeah. the, um, yeah. in the test match here in New Zealand at Tauranga in that first innings. And we went, <laughs> what a ridiculous shot. Yeah. It is ridiculous, but for all the right reasons. It's it's just fantastic. Look, he can uh, he can play that more than Alex Carey can play the reverse sweep. Let's just leave it at that and move on. Well, and I think, I mean, you know, if we want numbers, I, I wrote down a few for a route, and it's, yes, yeah, 14 matches now in the year since Stokes became the captain. He averages 67 with 500s and 550s. So, like, he's just... You see those shackles have come off, haven't mm-hmm. they? And it's yeah. it's just made him Helped an by even the, better player than he was before, which was pretty damn good. Yeah, and helped by the not out in this innings as well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see... I've almost got bingo here. I want to see if you can throw a few more uh, <laughs> digs at the uh, at the declaration. I might almost have bingo by the time we get to the what end of the What about someone who wasn't playing in the match? Mitchell Stark and the Australian bowling unit. Yeah, really interesting one, isn't it? Because... 
in that first kind of half hour to hour, Scott Boland didn't look like he was troubling England too much at all, really. He, I think he had a good test, test match in that. He kind of stuck to his guns. He is experienced at bowling on pretty flat wickets. The MCG has been a very, very flat wicket for a long, long time, and he, he plays his uh, domestic cricket in Australia for Victoria on that MCG and also on Punt Road, which is also very, very flat and very small. He knows how to bowl in those conditions. Mm. I just thought that like when the wicket did flatten out, England were able to walk at him. And I just wonder if, as good as Josh Hazelwood was in that test match, I mean, he, he got the early breakthroughs for Australia, if Mitchell Stark would have been able to offer a point of difference, you know, left arm a little bit quicker, a little bit of reverse maybe, I'm not quite sure. I'm certainly not advocating for dropping Boland, but I wonder if at some point Australia will bring Mitchell Stark in just to offer a point of difference. I, I wonder if both teams have actually got their selection a little bit wrong going into that no test work, match, yeah. that kind of looking at the wicket. Yep. I think if they'd have both watched the first half hour, they or been able to do that. I think they'd have both gone, ah, we need that extra pace through the air on this wicket. I Impact just wonder player. I just wonder whether they've yeah, <laughs> whether, yeah. Well look, that's the way it's going, right? You know, I'm sure that's Brendan McCullum's ne- next suggestion is the impact player in the, test matches. Day one impact player. So it would have been Mark Wood for you then to come in for who? Um, well, he'd have probably had to come in for Stuart Broad. Um, yeah. Who I thought was their best who bowler. Was, yeah, yeah, so look, it's a difficult one, but I think, mm. um, look, you can't necessarily look at one thing, but when your keeper stood up to you on the first day mm. um, and you're going at six and over, I, I think you probably go, it's going to be a tough day at the office. Yeah, but that's, was... that's belly bowled on the end of day four, though. Yeah. Stuart Broad. Brought England oh, not, no, I'm talking more about bowling than broad oh, yeah, with a yeah, keeper sorry. up to the yep. stumps, yeah. Yeah, so he, he didn't look particularly threatening. And look, he's averaging 70 now against England in England. So it's, uh, it's you know, a, a, a crash back to earth for, for Scott Boland. But he'll get conditions that will suit him a little bit better as we as we go through the series, I think. Well, he might not. And if the way that these pitches are, you know... Well, anything's, every- anything's more suitable than what this wicket was. Yeah, yeah, possibly. But I guess those that pitch, it did end up playing into the hands of the spinners a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk a little bit about spin? I know, again, we've been like been a little bit critical of Lyon. You did apologise to him last week about, uh, you know, and, and the way he's bowled him. And we were he very... Was he was He was fantastic. He was but I think I think that the 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 way that the, he, he goes against these English batters, I think is actually going to be defining in the series. Because... They're going to go at him. They're not going to let him. You could see in They're every single time he's not going to be able to settle. He's not going to be able to just, you know, run in, try and bowl his areas. He, they talked to him after the game and, and he was stuck. I mean, he was obviously stoked. He'd just done his nice shot. Gary mm-hmm. over the top, hit that boundary. Uh, you know, he was pumped up, but he talked about how great it was to play that kind of cricket and bowl. It gives you chances, right? And I mean, you love that. If you're an attacking spinner, you want to take wickets. And I think that's what that's what he'll take from the game. I, look, I thought he was superb in that in that first innings, and and then fourth in the second innings, and that was where obviously uh, he you know earned his corn in terms of I think what three for forty odd or something like that. He got eight. He got, I think he got four, 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 four in each. Four I, in each I, thought, I thought his four wickets in the first innings were telling because that was a really really good batting surface at that time, and for him to sort of wrangle four out yeah. in that first innings was huge for but, Australia. But but I think what he's done is, and I don't know whether this is deliberate, and I don't know whether he's actually you know sort of almost internalise this with himself is he's probably gone on a flat wicket first day I'm going to go for fives yep. and do you know what I'm fine with that because I'm going to create at least four or five chances yeah. and you know Carey converted those chances um, for him um, yeah, pretty pretty good stumping off, off Bairstow um, so I think he's going to almost play that role where he knows he might go for a few air miles but he's going to create 
yeah create opportunities during that yeah during that first innings when the pitches are a bit flatter yeah i mean Stuart, would you have had four out coming on on that first day just to get yourself settled you know not 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 to be hit out of the attack how would you have approached that because i thought it was a pretty negative tactic for australia to go to four out straight away um even though it was the 10th over how would you have approached that situation i, I don't know i mean I, yeah i i am I'm coming around on the way that they played that game, Australia. Certainly with Lyon, because I think with a, with being a spinner, it's different if you're a seamer. I don't think you can quite do this, but with a spinner, you can play a very in outfield, and you can have your guys in there catching, and you can still have your boundary riders. And, and the way, like you said, he didn't want he he knew that they were going to try and hit boundaries off him, and and I think that was so clear. It was so clear right from the start. If they had got you know, if they'd started hitting him for 10 and over instead of 5 and over, taking him out of the game, that would have been massive in terms of the, the actual, the way that the test rolled yeah. out. He was so important to be able to run it, you know, even we're, we're talking about trying to build some pressure. Bowling, you know, 5 and over was probably in a way building some pressure. So, yeah, I, I don't have a real problem with it as long as you've got those players in there and you know your plan. Like, he bowled, bowling around the wicket, we talked last week about how he's bowling around the wicket, seems negative, but he's got a very clear plan about what he's doing, mm. trying to bowl around the wicket, pitch it on middle, straighten well, to hit but, middle, but, and it worked. It both poaches in play from, from, yep. from the off, whereas on a first day pitch with no rough, r- really you've not got both of those uh, mm. both of those options open to you. Yeah. Uh, I think the quality of his performance is also shown when you look at the head-to-head with him and Moeen Ali. I thought that Ali actually was a bit of a pressure release valve for the Australians that come down the wicket and, and hit him over the, over the over their heads for for maybe if they had played with a couple more on the boundary or something along those lines it might have helped well ironically I think if Moeen Ali had have had Nathan Lyonsfield uh, Nathan Lyonsfields and Nathan Lyon had have had Moeen Ali's fields we'd have probably got an even better performance from Lyon potentially and definitely a better one from Moeen Ali it's yeah bizarre should we have seen the Mo Ali injury coming yeah probably we should have seen it coming I mean he hasn't bowled a lot of overs for a long time I I don't I mean I don't think we should have seen it as fans. I think he should have probably seen it, and he maybe already did know about that. Like, I don't know. I have had many, many cuts on my fingers from from blisters from the same things, and you get them at the start of your season. Basically, you you rock up to preseason training, you start bowling after three months off or whatever, and you know after the first training session, your fingers all raw and blood, you know, and bloody, and then it takes until the next week as a club cricketer to kind of go back to training again and it's hardened up a little bit and it breaks and you know you go through this process for Moeen Ali he's a professional cricketer all time you know all all around the year but he doesn't bowl this that many overs and I think we talked about that last week well he bowled more overs in this game than he did in the whole of the IPL Um, and look I think the other thing is he's not going to get his finger ready in a week um, leading into it and I think the Duke's ball makes a difference as well because I think the Kookaburra we've got one up here um, you know he's a little bit yeah a little bit softer in terms of the seam and, yep. and the way that you grip it he had that jukes ball in his hand pretty early and and it is almost like sharp it's yeah, big, yeah it's a big scene uh, yeah, pronounced pronounced seam so yeah can, yep. can yeah absolutely see that that was gonna gonna come and I, i'd imagine he'll be in a better place for lords if, if he plays because he's gonna have the ability to go oh, i don't know glue with some super glue or fries balsam that's sa- the stuff sand it or you that's know that's the richie Beno. yeah Timaru trick. <laughs> uh, just before we go on to the next player, can I use the Raj Reddy Mumbai cement? Oh yes, in please. This, in this test match, I'd actually like to highlight Pat Cummins. I thought that um, Usman Khawaja was player of the match, mm. but I thought Pat Cummins was a very close second. Mm. I thought his efforts with the ball were Herculean. Oh, Herculean. I like that. 
How about Herculean, them? Yeah. Pipes? Yeah. But border pipe. Oh, the one that Ooh. swung in. The, the Yorker one. The Yorker. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very nice. Yeah, a bit of fries balsam on it, I reckon. <laughs> I, was gonna, I didn't think the Australian swung the ball in England. That's what I was told earlier. But all of a sudden, <laughs> it's swinging. Um, and then, it's obviously, as innings to bring the game home yeah. um, in conjunction with the others. Um, yeah. Absolutely massive performance. Have I missed something with Cummins? Because I always thought he was a pretty good batter. Like a good lower order batter. And then they, sh- they showed his stats when he rocked out in that first innings. Mm. 15. Yeah, so stats aren't great, but still mm. holds second fastest IPL 50, I think. Yeah, yeah, but uh, or something I, like I, that. I thought he was a legit test kind of almost all-rounder he, in my head. I've he, always had that. He was coming in, like he had that reputation yeah. coming into test cricket and he had a period there for quite a while where he did not perform very well with the bat at all. I mean, these I think these two scores were, were his like highest two scores as captain since he took over the captaincy. Like he hasn't wow. passed 30 very often, mm. Pat Cummins. I was trying to find, I saw a stat on the Fox Sports to press um, and I was talking to Raj um, mid-match about the Australian lower order because Australia, I think, had yeah, the three England, number 11s, you mean? Yeah, the three number 11s. Um, that, and that was my perception of them too, in that Australia have a pretty long tail and have had for a while. And if you have a look at the two England innings, I think we had England five for under a 200 in both innings and allowed England to get 393 for eight and then, you know, 296 or whatever it was that they got. You in did the, pretty in the well with your prediction there. I think you said that on our on our show that and then Johnny Bairstow was going to come out and take them over almost uh, to 400. And, and so Australia really let the last four wickets for England wag and we lost our last four wickets in the first innings for 14. So there was this pattern continuing of Australia being outperformed in those in those last four batters. But I mean, on that last day, Pinky in the Brain did just an absolutely <laughs> outstanding job to get them to the last, what, 70-odd runs. Um, <laughs> Who's Pinky in the Brain? Well, they look like them. They do. They do look like Pinky in the Brain. They do. They look a lot like Pinky in the Brain. Oh, that's brilliant. Um so they, how they feel about that. <laughs> Look, he, he's, he's getting I'm a lot of love on this podcast at the has. moment. It, we, he's in the he's in the off spinners union. He, even if he's Australian, he gets a lot of support. So that's um, yeah. They, I mean, they did a superb job to to keep their cool in that in that run chase, and they sort of had to throw caution to the wind a little bit. They had to kind of play England's game a little bit to get themselves in a position to to win that match. And it's the highest fourth innings chase in England since forty eight for Australia, and the first time that Australia has chased down two hundred and fifty plus in twelve years. Wow. Yeah, and I think I saw wow. it. In the, I think I saw some the, some weird stat that uh, they did that in 2011, and Usman Khawaja scored 65 runs in that same fourth innings, and Pat Cummins hit the hit the winning, hit the winning runs with yep. a boundary. So that takes that takes Australia to one, two, and twenty. Uh, chasing 250 plus I think that's the last 10 or, 10 or so years it's their first win chasing 250 plus for 10 years England have done it four times in the last 12 months just by the way um, so then then no no strangers yeah, we, to chasing down we, we might remember, those, a, remember, yeah. remember a few of those what, a couple of those uh, look so just yeah an out of the box performance for, for Australia to, to be able to do that and they're going to need to if they're going to continue to compete with England over the course of the series before we just talk about this, the second test and what might happen, do you do you want to talk about keeping, or have you kind of touched on that already? I did think I did think Kerry's performances, both in the World Test Championship and this one, have been a bit underrated, and th- that he was a significant figure in both of those two matches. And kind of other people have outshone him, so he hasn't really got the limelight, but he's he's been a very valuable contributor for them. Yeah, look, d- definitely. I think the stat was uh, as equal the most 
dismissals in a match or something like that for nine, uh, yeah. nine uh, in a match. And probably the, the stumpings is the key thing. You actually don't see that many stumpings in Test cricket. First time Joe Root's been know, stumped in first-class cricket. Really? First-class as well. I knew it was Holy in Holy shoot. So I think uh, only Sachin Tendulkar held a similar record until Ashley Giles got him, I think, which uh, must still haunt him I a thought, little bit. But I thought there was actually a really good stumping too. That and a couple of his catches. He actually looked really, really good with the gloves. Uh, look, he, he does. He, he, absolutely, I think that, you know, not the difference between the two sides necessarily, but I think it's a really good indicator of where the two sides were through the course of that uh, that match. He, you know, he, he probably instilled confidence in his bowlers that when they did get a little nick, mm. it was gonna it was gonna stick, and uh, and it did. Uh, look, I don't think England are going to change too many things, but I, I said in the preview show, I think folks gets a gets a go at some point because I think it's a big ask with Bairstow coming back from that injury. Um, and I think y- y- the minute it starts to potentially detract a little bit from his batting as well, he obviously got the opportunity to bat in the first innings and batted pretty well um, in, in that first innings. We, we might, yeah, we might see a, see a change. But look, we're going to have this debate, I think, until the end of time, aren't we, in terms of whether or not you pick a keeper or a guy who's got gloves. Um, and, and look, that's harsh on Bairstow because he is a genuine wicketkeeper. I just think he had a, you know, a, a really bad day having not had um, a lot of conditioning in the, in the legs. I think that's that's the real challenge. I think you're going to see it in the second innings batting well, performances, right? He's starting to get tired as the test match yeah. goes on. I think it, it'll, it'll take its toll uh, on him. And he won't get the chance to do the technical work either. You, you know, I don't want to go a badger on it, but his posture wasn't good. Mm. Um, yeah, so yeah, definitely a worry, I think, for, for England as they go through the series. Changes to the bowling attack, Binksy, for the next test. Would you change anything? Would you keep Moali, for example, or would you go with an extra bowler um, in, the, in that pace um, cartel? Yeah, look, so I think they've got seven days off, haven't they? Um, or seven days in between the tests. So uh, I think England will go away and probably a couple of pro-ams and, you know, <laughs> maybe a few kebabs. I, look, I don't know what they're going to do in that in that period. Some is wineries, Bru- maybe. Is Bruce Springsteen playing again this week? Mate, he pl- he played know. at Aston Villa. He's a great t- show. I yeah. don't blame Pat Cummins at all. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic so, show. So, look, I think they'll go and do that. A bit of go-karting, laser tag, that kind of stuff. And then they, they might go and have a net. Um, so they, they, they can't, uh, in all seriousness, they, can, they can't pick another spinner. I don't, look, I don't think they're going to pick another spinner. I, I really yeah. don't think they are. I think, I think they have to be pace. Um, so, so I think that the, the two options that they've really got is they've got to look at Broad, Anderson, Robinson, and say, "Can you guys go again after um, after this?" I, I well, hope. almost are you too similar as three bowlers in in what you're trying to do. I know they're not the way they bowl is not quite the same, but the yeah. I guess the paces and the the. I, I I think the thing that I would say though is um, Robinson is. For me, the first seamer on that team sheet now, he 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 is potentially, I think, going to be a, a look. I'm not going to go as far as a ghost, but he's going to be a bloody good England seamer over the next uh, five or six years if he doesn't get you know banned for for send offs. <laughs> um, so look, I, I think he's probably the first name if he if he's fit. He actually has adapted, so I think he, he bowls some of the short stuff and, yeah. and, and targets his bouncer really, really well, even if it's not rapid. So I think England go one or two ways. I think they pick those three guys again. Um, in, it was good to see Stokes bowl in both innings and, and didn't seem to have any ill effects. And big wicket um, Smith. Big, big wicket of, uh, of Smith and a big and wicket Kawaja, in the second yeah. innings as well. Kawaja with the little leg break or leg cutter. Um, so I think they'll either bring Wood in and then, yeah, it will be a, an all right arm pace attack. Um, or I think they will. They might need to then go wood and, and swap one of those guys out for a spinner. But it's Lords. It's a pitch that is, uh, or a, a ground that is going to help uh, Robinson with the, with the slope and 
Broad and Anderson's record there is pretty bloody good. Mm. They've almost run out of gold lettering for the honours board for those two at Lords. So, um, look, well, I, they'll need to tie them up at the hotel to keep them out, wouldn't they? Yeah, I, I think they're going to have to. Yeah, I think they're going to have to. Yeah, do a lot to, to keep them out of a Lords Ashes Test match. It's making it tough for Mark Wood to get thirty wickets. Uh, look, my my bold predictions are uh, are being stymied by the selectors' but table. Changes for Australia? No, no, I don't think so. Um, they might consider Stark at Lords with the slope and the angle and all the rest of it instead of instead of Boland. Yeah, I think I think Hazelwood at Lords is a is a pretty enticing prospect for Australia. Yeah, I, I, look, do I, you think you you talked a little bit about the tail? Do you think they think about his batting ability at all? Does would, it come into it? I I would be, um, but they're they're there to take twenty wickets, mm-hmm. and I think Scott Boland well, has shown or, or sixteen, 16 or whoever, yeah. whoever however many England dictate Australia need to take, but. I think Australia will, again, as like I said before the the series, I think they'll look they'll they'll think about it very very hard and then they'll pick Scott Boland again. Yeah, yeah. Anything else on this one? No, no, um, no worries about uh, David Warner with the Renshaw and who else is there? Someone else. Oh, I'm not I'm not concerned about Joe Renshaw outperforming David Warner at this point. Joe Renshaw, Matt, Matt Renshaw, well, Matt, Matt Renshaw, and even. there is a, there is another opener Harris. as well. Marcus, Marcus Harris, Harris, Harris. Yeah. Marcus yeah. Harris is there. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Warner's going to get a few more tests, isn't he? You'd think so. I mean, I mean, he retires in Sydney, oh, doesn't he? He's got another 11. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he averaged 20 in this test match, or 20, 22, which is about his average overseas for the last five or six years. So, I mean, it's par <laughs> for the course, really. Well, boys, I think we're, yeah, we could talk all night, I think, about this this one game. It's been a, uh, absolutely fantastic Um Advert for Test cricket. If you're a neutral, I, I would 100% um, agree with that. Uh, I think as an Englishman, um, it's pretty tough to take when you know you've kind of watched your team lose and, and get themselves in positions. What's sports where all about? The yeah. ups and the downs. You just just get on the roller coaster and enjoy it, Banksy. It's it's what it's all about. Look, I, I will, but I think before we yeah before we really do come to blows, and um, it's time to <laughs> it's time to end uh, this evening's uh, podcast. We will be back, of course. Uh, next week with uh, I guess the lead up um, and whatnot to the to the next test match with seven days away and then reviews all the way through the course of the um, of the series and it just continues and continues after that as well with the World Cup as well so we'll be on your airwaves um, ad infinitum over the course of the next four or five months won't we boys but for now it is good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland we'll see you soon good night <laughs>